welcome to Spin Tea Roxy episode 9. Today's episode is all about endometriosis and it's going to be with one of my really good friends, Gaynor Blackbird. Um, today's episode is a quite sensitive one, um, so I want to give a little trigger warning. Um, we're talking a lot about womb fertility and the journey to receive an endometriosis um, diagnosis. So. It will be a sensitive subject, but I think it's a very important conversation to be having um, and to spread a little bit of light and awareness on that for everyone. Um, as you know, one in 10 women worldwide suffer with endometriosis in one way or another. So I think this is relevant to a lot of people in the universe. Um, just a quick disclaimer, just to let you know, me and Gaynor are obviously not medical practitioners or doctors. We are just two women that are talking about health and awareness. Um, so today on Spin Tea Roxy, just know that anything said is not to be taken on board without speaking to your actual real health practitioner. Hey Warriors and welcome to this week's episode of Spilling Tea Roxy episode 9. Today I am very delighted to be joined by a long-term friend, a beautiful human and an endo warrior named Gaynor Blackbird. Hey Gaynor, it's nice to have you today on the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so appreciate you being here. Um, if you guys don't know Gaynor, Gaynor is a endometriosis warrior who um, is a long-term friend of mine and um, you can catch Gaynor at Gaynor Blackbird on Instagram and today we're going to talk about her story and her story to diagnosis and where she is today. So I will let Gaynor um, introduce herself and tell you a bit about herself. Hi everybody, um, I'm Gaynor, uh, I'm nearly 30 which I'm really excited about but also nervous. Um, I do a lot of art stuff. During the pandemic, I picked up uh, the art form of crochet. I'm obsessed with making hats, gloves, anything really that I can get my hands on that I can try and make and not make look silly. <laughs> I like to paint, draw. I like to sing. I recently uh, started um meeting a few people to possibly get a band together which is really exciting it's like wow. a, me reliving my teenage dream over here <laughs> um I have a dog called Reggie uh he's like a little baby uh he takes up all of my time but I love him he's adorable all of you guys you know I love dogs so I'm gonna definitely put a little picture of Reggie somewhere in this little video so you can like literally pine over him like I do because I don't have dogs and I'm a dog person and it breaks my heart so to see a lovely little mum pup over there it brings me a lot of joy <laughs> so I think we should spread the joy with Reggie's face that so everyone can see him and um see your work as well on your Instagram I think that would be kind of cool because she is really cool and she does amazing music and I've known her for a very long time so definitely definitely check Gaynor out. So Gaynor let's talk about endometriosis um obviously it's something new to me obviously everyone knows that I'm an MS warrior um so how did it come about for you like how did you get to an endometriosis diagnosis? Um, it's been a really long journey. Um, I was only really diagnosed 
um, a month and a half ago. So at the start of December, I went ahead and had a surgery. Uh, it, it wasn't particularly easy to like get to that point. Um, my journey kind of began to what I can remember back in 2016. Okay. Um, back in 2016, um, I found out that I was pregnant. Um, I was in a really difficult relationship at the time. Uh, the partner was really unsupportive. Um, and I was going through a really awkward time in my life with depression and work. Uh, it, it wasn't an easy decision for me to come to a head that I decided to have a termination. Um, it's the first time that I've ever had a termination. I've never fallen pregnant before. Um, and I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, I definitely felt my body change. I started to be in pain with my stomach. I was quite bloated a lot of the time. Um, and I was very tired. I'd been on a holiday to Cuba for two weeks for my 25th. Um, and It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And it's not an easy story to tell. So I know this is an emotional thing. So just take your time because anyone listening to this is here because they they have a similar story and they feel very much similar to you. And I know for you, this is the first time you're sharing it. So anyone listening to this, this is the first time Gain is telling this story. And it's a really important powerful story and it takes a lot of vulnerability to be open and honest in a space like this you know so I'm here to support you the community we're all going to love you and we're all here to support you and we're here because you want to hear the story and I know that feeling that emotion going through something when you're not feeling like you're being supported and then having to take a big step and then finding out another chapter has been added to that story for you at such a young age you're young still now like compared to me you're still a baby I've got like a few years on you I know that that hits hard like any illness for anyone hits in so many levels mentally physically and emotionally and it takes a lot of strength to get through it but it takes a whole nother layer of strength for you to be sitting in front of me now and sharing this. So I thank you. And I know everyone's going to appreciate you for it. No, thank you. It, yeah, it, it kind of feels like in a way, like I'm, I'm coming out to the world just because only two members of my family know that I'd fallen pregnant and had a termination. Not many of my friends really know either is something I've kind of kept secret not for any form of shame just because I don't know it, it's not something that I really wanted to do and I know that the doctors that you go to see to have the procedure um they do make sure that 
this is a decision that you want to make and that you're happy to do it and you're not being forced and I lied I, I did feel forced like I didn't know what I wanted and the people in my life at the time were telling me you you can't have a baby like look at your life like you, you can't do this and the partner that I was with he ultimately told me like oh I'll support you you know whatever you choose is fine um I'll be there for you but I don't want a family so it was a really toxic way of telling me oh, Lord, yeah. he wasn't going to be there and that I would be on my own and I, I was terrified um but yeah I went I went to the clinic and was very ignorant to the fact that it would take two days. I thought, you know, you go in there, you get it done and that's it. Um, I think I was eight, eight weeks pregnant, I think. Um, and I'm not sure if the process is different for other people depending on the weeks, but my experience was that I went there, they scanned my tummy, they um, checked me for STIs, for any blood infections, um, they weighed me and obviously checked if it was something that I wanted. Um, when they gave me an ultrasound on my tummy, the woman actually said to me, are you experiencing any pain in this region? And she, she pressed quite hard on um, my right side and I said, yeah, I've, I've been experiencing all kinds of pain, but where you're pressing there, it really hurts. Mm. And she said to me, there's actually quite a big cyst here, which is perfectly normal. Um, usually most, if not all pregnant women develop a cyst, but it will go away um, after the termination or after the pregnancy. <clears throat> However, if it doesn't go away, then just let your doctor know. And they can have another look because sometimes they can, the pain can mirror on the other side or it can get bigger or it can burst. But in any case, if it's still causing you pain and it's there, it can be removed. So I said, okay, that's fine. Um, jumping forward um, to about 2017, um, I still had the pain if not worse and the pain was very difficult to describe to someone um the closest that I've got from any doctor or another person that has a similar pain was that it's like contractions so sometimes it can be like a shooting stabbing pain right in my abdomen um sometimes it's like a dull pain that stays for a really long time um it's not it's not something that I've ever felt before and I knew that it wasn't cramps um I knew it wasn't anything to do with my period because it was happening all the time in the middle of the night when I'm walking on the street when I'm sat when I'm cooking when I'm at work and Every time it would catch me, it would completely throw me off guard and I would have to stop what I was doing for a minute, take a breather and then sit down because it, it was getting too much. And it, yeah. at first it was every 
so often, like every few days, then it got less and less and less to the point where it was every single day. Um, I contacted my doctor and she had said to me like, oh, I'm going to send you for an ultrasound. I said, okay, cool. We've been for one of those before. Explained about the termination because I went to a clinic to have the termination. I didn't go to my doctor. So my doctor wanted to check herself. So she sent me to the hospital to have a external ultrasound on my tummy where they told me that the cyst wasn't there no more. So they don't know what the pain could be. It's like, okay. Then the pain was still going as it was. And just researching, I wasn't really finding anything. And because I'd never really heard of endometriosis before at that period of time. Um, so I never, it wasn't on my radar. It wasn't something that I was actively looking up and looking up the symptoms. Um, I then contacted my GP again and she asked if I would be okay having an internal ultrasound. I said yes, because I had no idea what it was. Not that I would have a problem with it if I knew what it was, but um, I went out drinking the night before and I'd slept with someone and I was in quite a lot of pain in that region because for me, sex can be quite painful during and after. Um, and I went to my hospital appointment to have the internal ultrasound didn't realize until I went into the room that internal meant that they were going to go vaginally with a I don't know what I would call it something that looks similar to a, like a camera kind of kind of yeah balance device like a yeah something a little bit AI maybe <laughs> um doesn't feel and, fun. Yeah. Holds. I'm, I know it's bad. I was 25, but I hadn't had my smear test yet. So I hadn't actually experienced anything like that um, inside. And I explained very quickly to the woman, I, I slept with someone last night. I'm in a bit of pain. Um, I, I don't know if that like hinders anything or if everything will be fine. She said, no, that's fine. She went in and had a look. And she also said to me, I don't see anything wrong here. There's no abnormalities. I don't see any um, cysts there. So you're all fine, but we'll send a report back to your doctor. I met up with my doctor and she relayed the same information as what the technician at the hospital had said. At this point, I'd never seen a gynecologist and it never entered my mind that that's someone that I would need to see or speak to. And it upsets me that it's, it didn't even enter my GP's mind. They've never brought up a gynecologist to me, never brought up seeing a specialist to what the problem could be. Um, you off a bit. They were, yeah. There, were, there was someone that I worked with at the time. Her name's Reese. Um, she's very, very helpful when it comes to any kind of bodily pain very in tune with her own body and very good with advice. And she kind of, when I felt 
very defeated about not getting anywhere with it. I thought that was the end of the road. And she said to me, no, you need to keep going. You need to keep telling them, like, make sure you make them understand how much pain that you're actually in. Um, and I've had many issues um, with my own health in general where things have hit a brick wall. I've had problems with my ankle that's gone around for years with no answer. I've had issues with my back that I've had no answer to. Um, I've also had a lot of problems with my mental health. Um, I was diagnosed at a really young age with um, borderline personality disorder. And that, you know, it does get to a point where <clears throat> you're visiting the doctor so often and every problem that you have, it's like, are you a hypochondriac? Are you making this up? You know, yeah. because you do look at them and you think, oh, are they judging me? Like, they don't know how I'm feeling. Like, Gaynor's okay now with her mental health. She doesn't need to take any medication anymore. But, oh, look, there's something wrong with her insides that there's no evidence of. So you kind of feel like you're going a bit crazy with all these things going around internally in your head with no answer whatsoever. Yeah, I've been there. It's a lot when you go in there and you need to trust them and you need to feel like you have a rapport with someone and that they believe you. And I've been told many things before I got to my diagnosis. So I can firmly believe that you've been told some wild things and ignored in some wild ways. And it's sad and I know they don't mean to do it, but it, I don't think they understand how much it impacts someone's life you know yeah exactly um in 2017 as well I got into a relationship with someone and um the thought entered my mind that all this pain could possibly be a sexually transmitted infection that I've had this pain for a long time um we were using protection, um, but what if this is from before? What if this is from my partner that I had when I fell pregnant? Because it was evident that he was lying to me and um, misleading my trust in him. I do believe that he was unfaithful to me at one point. Um, so in my head, trying to scramble all these things that it could be, one of them was a STI. And I had to have the conversation with my partner of that I'm not saying that you've given me anything because I don't believe that you have. Um, but what if this pain and all of this internal stuff I'm experiencing is something that's you know, lay dormant, because in a lot of women, we don't see the signs with many of them. Um, and I've had a STI before, um, years ago, I contracted chlamydia from uh, someone that I was dating. And I didn't know. They called me up one day and said, Look, I've got this. So you need to go and protect yourself. And when I went to 
the clinic to get it checked out it turned out that I was I was positive at that time I got it cleaned up it was all all right um and so I booked an appointment to see uh, a clip go to the clinic um to get a full STI check uh, the, my partner agreed to do exactly the same um he did one and it all came back clear so I knew to some degree that it was going to come back clear because if his one was fine, then surely mine must be fine. The lady that I saw, she was really young and she was very chatty and very helpful. It was like being in a room with someone looking at my downstairs who was a friend. (laughs) (laughs) She made me feel very at ease. Um, We were actually in there for quite a long time, probably too long talking Um, And when I explained to her why I was there, um, she said to me, I I can't believe that your doctor hasn't actually even suggested you see a gynecologist. Like if you're really going through all this pain, I don't know why it's up to you to think maybe it's an STI. Why didn't they suggest that to you? Or, you know, maybe it's something to do with your ovaries or, you know, what if there is something going on? What if it's your bowel? Like it could be anything like they should have at least taken the steps to have a look. And so she gave me the term polycystic ovaries, like, you know, that can cause these pains. And that was my first sort of gateway into anything to do with endometriosis was polycystic ovaries. And I know quite a few women that also have this. So then I started researching again. Um, And a lot of things started to develop. Another sort of medical issue that I was going through in 2018 was I started to have migraines, which I never had before. And there was one occasion when I was going to work and I was walking down the stairs at a DLR station and I completely lost sight, like lost vision in the lower parts of my eyes and I fell down the stairs. And it had happened quite a few times that I'd lost my vision and I just assumed, you know, when you get up too fast, like maybe I got a bit dizzy, lost my footing, I'm not sure. But when the migraine started to get more and more, I went to go and see, um, first thing in my mind was an optician. It's my eyes, maybe... I need a new prescription. I'm really bad. I'm not wearing glasses at the moment and I'm supposed to wear them all the time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so I went to see my optician. He tested me, tested my eyes, tested the health, um, had a look at my nerves at the back, said he didn't find anything wrong with my eyes, but because of the the loss of vision, he wrote a letter for me to emergency see my GP again because he felt like there could have been some kind of damage from many, many years ago. I fell and hit my head and it was never treated, never seen to. Um, so he said, what if you've damaged something back there? You need to have a CT scan. So oh God, <laughs> something else to add to the list. And this completely pushed all of my search to do with my pain in my abdomen and my stomach to one side and now I was focusing on my head when they gave me a CT scan I I think it was 
I had to wait six months to speak to the neurosurgeon. I then had to wait another six months to have my scan on my head um, in an MRI machine. I then had to wait another six months to speak to the neurosurgeon, <clears throat> sorry, again, um, for the results. So it was a year of waiting. And when all the results finally came back, my doctor actually said to me, look, you're on the contraceptive pill, the mini pill, and you can't be on it if you suffer with migraines because you can have a stroke. Okay. And this wasn't something that I was really aware of. Um, so there was obviously the, the thought process of, okay, so no more contraceptive pill. I don't want to commit to having the implant. Um, I didn't, I tried the patches before that they stick on you like a nicotine patch. I didn't really like that either. Um, also, it never really stuck properly. And when you have a shower or a bath, it always was coming off a little bit. And, you know, if it's coming off a little bit, is it really working? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I'd thought about the coil before and I was still oh. with my partner. And um, he said, absolutely not. Please do not have the coil. I don't want I you to have it. Mm -mm. It's, it's not something that you hear a lot of horror stories and scratchy inside like it caused me my first pain that I've ever felt gynecologically if that's a word um I would never ever recommend the cool time some people love it but I just felt yeah. like it sex horrible actually yeah I'd be far too concerned about is it going to come out if I'm on the toilet is it going to come out <laughs> like <laughs> One day I just looked down and it's in my trouser leg or something, or it dropped on the floor. It <laughs> works. <laughs> um, I ultimately came to a decision that I just didn't want to be on anything and that I would use condoms and protect myself that way. So then starts coming all the body washing out all of the artificial hormones that are put in from contraception Um I've got some notes here of what happened. Um, I suffer with cystic acne on my head um, where okay. I get quite like big lumps. Um, as a teenager, I had it on my, on my head as well. And I used to take medication, which I then had to start taking again because it came back like crazy. Um, I started gaining weight again. Um, this is all because it came off the hormones. Yeah, all because I came off the pill. Um, my periods went from being three, maybe four days of light with one day of heaviness to the complete boom of seven days, sometimes eight. And by day number two, so heavy. I, even now I go through two packs in the one cycle. Um, wow. I'm constantly changing them and I'm on the very embarrassing ones that you can't really hide from the world like extra long nighttime extra thick because it, it just doesn't stop um, I just sort of assumed that this was my body's way of adjusting back to being normal it and then sense. yeah and I think this was all at this so this was the start of 2018 um 
yeah, the start of 2018. Um, the pain started to get more frequent and there was actually an occasion where me and my partner were, were having sex and I had to ask him to stop because I started to get my pain, but it was different. There was something more dull about it, like, like a dull ache and it wouldn't go. We stopped and we laid on the bed and the position that I laid in was just flat on my back. Um, and from then on, I couldn't move. The pain was so intense my entire body kind of like seized up and froze and mm -hmm. it went on for a really long, it went on without sounding dramatic, almost two hours. Um, I thought I would need to call an ambulance at one point and I think I just fell asleep during the pain. Um, I took some ibuprofen, uh, my partner got me a hot water bottle, um, but it was, it was horrible. Um, I didn't know what to do. I didn't particularly, I live with my mum. I didn't particularly want to call my mum in um, because I'd, I'd just been doing the deed. <laughs> You're like I was laying there. So there's no way that I could have put clothes on myself. Like I couldn't even move like a bit of my chest to sit up because there was so much pain I was just there in tears and I couldn't really speak either it was just intense and I think that's the most intense that the pain has ever been and that's the longest that I've had it in one stretch of time it was it was hard and it was hard for my partner to understand as well he I'd explained to him about my pains before and he he knew about them and he had very understanding um but I think that shocked him because he didn't particularly know to the extent of how much pain I could physically be in um just from sex that wasn't even particularly crazy or high maintenance or <laughs> <just bog> standard <laughs> um, yeah and from then, that kind of prompted me to really push now to get some help. Um, it was back and forth again with the ultrasounds. That seems to be the running theme of how diagnosis goes when I now know not for fact but I now know that that's not a proper way to even be on the spectrum of someone's suspicion that you could have endometriosis because it can't be possible endometriosis actually grows on the outside of your uterus yeah. and when you're having an internal examination it's the inside so when they're telling me it's fine, there's no, God, I'm going to mess this word up. There's no endometrial tissue on the inside, but it's commonly on the outside. So why I'm being told that there's none on the inside and there's no endometrial uh, cysts. It was just bizarre. I don't know. 
Um, it's meant to mirror your periods at points. I watched something recently and obviously because on the outside it seemed to go through the same stages as your internals during your period cycle, which I thought was interesting. So you'd be losing blood, but you wouldn't necessarily know that it was because of that, why it would be more intense. And sometimes it only happens in that time. For some people, they have cysts kind of more regularly. And I realized there was many different versions of what that was. And I've always been intrigued to how do you, how do they find that if they're doing an external exam or an internal exam? It's literally somewhere in between both parts of that situation. So I'm really interested in how they find, how they find out that and what they particularly do to see those kinds of results because I have the weirdest kind of internal gynecological kind of movements and every time like you I go and get like a ultrasound and think it's always your hormones are fine ultrasound's fine 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 get out fine and I'm always yeah. like I feel fine though so am I like you said am I hypochondriac do I and I don't feel like I am because you know the pain you're in you feel it yeah, it feels very much day. real but how sorry to cut you but how did you um where did they go next after doing something that shows nothing to find something that does um i i was in a new job and um a new member of staff joined my team. Her name's Faye. And ultimately, she's the person who said to me, like, I have endometriosis. And from what you're telling me, you have endometriosis. And I was like, what? Like, uh -huh. I'd heard the word before, but I knew it was some kind of chronic illness. I knew it was something to do with women. I assumed it was something to do with periods but I didn't know to the full extent that I could have it. Um, and we'd talk a lot over the phone, like on our break at work, uh, on the walk to the bus stop. And her, alongside my other friend, Reese, constantly saying to me, look, gynecologist, you need to go and see one. You need to tell them now. Like, and they both kind of said to me, you know, you're going to be 30 soon. Like, you need to get it sorted. Like, especially if you want children. And that's something that really stuck in my head because my dream, despite having a termination, like, terminations don't determine a woman's choice of what she wants in the future. Like, yeah. you can do whatever you want with your own body. Like, it's your choice. It's no one else's choice. And I knew that I wanted a family in the future. I want kids. I, I want a lot of kids. I want five. Five? Fucking hell. I want an army of kids. <laughs> um, and so that really resonated with me when, when my friend said, look, if you want children, you need to do something about it. Because if you get to a point where you realise that that's what you have and you're like 
eight years older than what you are now, what's the likelihood that you're going to be able to have your own children or have it without the cost effect of needing IVF or a surrogate or something else? Mm-hmm. So I really pressed with my doctors, my GP, that I wanted to see a gynecologist. And that was at the beginning of this year. So I got sent for another internal ultrasound which came up nothing um and I then had to just sit and wait because the pandemic started um which put a big burner on everything um I had to wait for a phone call because they weren't doing internal ultrasounds they weren't doing in-person meetings everything was over the phone and when I had my telephone appointment I think it was June it was near the time of my birthday and um it was quite difficult on the phone because I felt like I wasn't being listened to I was saying how I was feeling and what the pain was like and the doctor, the gynecologist kind of like kept dropping words, like as if she wasn't listening. Um, Like I said, oh yeah, I have a full seven day period um, and I bleed the whole way through. And she was like, okay. And then later on when she would read the notes, she would say, oh, so you have a five day period and it's not very heavy. And I'm like, no, that's literally not what I said. I didn't say that at all. So there was a lot of that back and forth and that took a lot of time. I then kept getting scheduled appointments to have another internal ultrasound because my last one had been several months ago and they wanted a new updated one before they sent me to see the gynecologist to actually speak to her and have an examination. Um, And then two days before the appointment, I'd get a text message to say, um, your appointment is telephone please do not come to the hospital. And I was like, how is anyone going to look in there? Have I got a <laughs> on FaceTime and show you? I don't know how this is going to work. Um, and those telephone appointments, no one rang me. Um, and it was getting very frustrating. And then one day I got a telephone call from the hospital to say that I had been booked a pre-assessment. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, I didn't even know I was going to be having a pre-assessment um, and we discussed me and the gynecologist um, I need to check the word because I always pronounce it wrong um, and she said that she was going to send me in to have an investigation uh, with a lapo- laparoscopy a laparoscopy um, I didn't know what yeah <laughs> I get, I'm always mispronouncing it. I've had to write it down here with laparoscopy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know what? It's probably the wrong word. <laughs> Entirely. Um, and so, yeah, we discussed that I was going to have an investigation um, into if I had endometriosis and this is the way that they do it. But what um, made the- prompt them to think that though like if they had been ignoring you the whole time and they every time they'd done a scan or they'd done an ultrasound they were like no there's nothing there why did one day after 
taken two, three appointments away from you that were meant to be on the, well, on the phone. Yeah. Did they just randomly then, weeks later, send you and go, hi, here's a pre-assessment for endometriosis? Like, is that not like way left field for you? Is that not like another, another hit where you're just like, sorry, what? Like, even though you've spoken to your friends and they've kind of gone, hey, Gaynor, possibly this, there's no there's no reason they should be almost mirroring that back to you yeah to me that would be like why do you think this now yeah I'd mentioned the reason I wanted to see the gynecologist and I said to the gynecologist herself over the phone the reason that I want to see you is because I want to be tested like I don't know why it's not even been suggested I want to be tested just to make sure um to advocate for yourself basically you kind of was like look my friends have said this to me this is what's going on in my life and nothing else is coming up why can you not test me for this well done that's that's good yeah and ultimately everyone that I've spoken to that's the same the way the story has gone is that they've you know been their number one fan and said I want this give me this and you know a lot of blind eyes have been turned to what they're asking for which is something very simple and this is probably very far-fetched of me saying it but I believe that the only reason why they don't pull their thumb out from the word go when you say that there's issues down below is that it's money because the only determining factor that I have researched and that I've been told to decipher if someone has endometriosis or not is by having the laparoscopy and if you don't have it then you'll never know the people that don't know what is a last i can't say the word myself (laughs) what is that like what does that entail so a laparoscopy is a minor surgery where you're put to sleep and they put a camera in through your belly button. Okay. Have a look. And if they find anything of what they're looking for, I think you can have a laparoscopy for loads of different procedures. I don't think it's just tailored to gynecological things. I I think that's kind of like the belly button is the entryway, the eye to the soul. Um, (laughs) And yeah, they go in, they have a look, they puff your stomach full of air um so that they can have a real good look around and if they find anything they then make an incision through your side or multiple incisions if they need to um to go in with an instrument which is a laser and they burn the things away or they repair what they need to repair um and I know the NHS for us is free but it, it costs the NHS money to do these things. And I think they hold off on it because otherwise they'd be giving laparoscopies to people <laughs> 15,000 times a day all over the place. And it costs them God knows how much money. Um, and it's sad because I feel like a lot of people do get ignored and fobbed off and they, they feel like what we said before, like they're hypochondriac or you know, it's nothing. My doctor told me it's nothing. So it's nothing. And they could go on living like this for the rest of their lives. And, 
have endometriosis or polycystic ovaries or oh, I think it's adenometriosis or adometriosis which is similar but a bit different it affects the um the organs sticking together oh yeah um Jesus and it affects, it affects a lot in women's bowels um but ultimately you'd, you'd never know unless you had this um this procedure and I had my pre-assessment, um, which was taking bloods, being COVID tested, um, then isolating uh, for the, the time before, um, isolating before you go in there. Um, and I was told that, I think this was October or November. No, it, it was mid-November. And they said, it's going to be about six or seven weeks into the new year. And um, the way they were dealing with the backlog of women that they needed to do this procedure on was that they were, um, they'd hired more teams of people at one of my local hospitals. So not the one closest to me where I'd had my pre-assessment, but one is a sistering hospital. Um, they Yeah, they hired loads of new staff, loads of um, people to come and help with the surgery with the amount of number um, of women that yeah. needed it. Um, and so I thought, okay, wait, I've got, at least I'm booked in, at least I'm gonna be seen, at least I'm being taken seriously. And within a few days, I got a phone call to say, someone has canceled, would you like to take it? It's on the 4th of December and I thought whoa that's really close like I'm not sure I'm scared um all of the emotions all at once the tears and I had to think about it and then when I mentioned it to my friend Faye and my friend Reese, they both said to me look you're really lucky to be given like in the the climate at the moment this appointment you need to go for it just take it because you might be waiting months you never know you've waited all this time what have you got else left to wait for why why are you yeah. gonna about it why are you getting nervous just go <laughs> um so I took the appointment and I prepared myself I had to be covid tested I had to isolate um or shield for 72 hours before um I then, I, I, it's weird because anybody that's had like surgery will know the procedures of surgery. You know, you, you shouldn't eat so many hours before, you can't drink so many hours before. My surgery was, I think, meant to be in the afternoon. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, it was supposed to be around 2 p.m. So I knew that I could eat and drink or take sips of water up until about 10, maybe 11 o'clock. Um, I got a phone call at eight in the morning saying, you can come in early, can you get here for 10? So okay. straight away, woke my mum up who was gonna be driving me there um, and said, look, they've said I can come in for 10, should I go? And she said, yeah, let's go. 
I hadn't eaten or drank anything since the night before when I had dinner. So I'm I'm very hungry. I'm very thirsty. My mouth was really dry. Um, we got there and I was waiting on the ward until half past three, four o'clock. And I still yeah. hadn't been taken in yet. Um, the final sort of consultation that I'd had with my... I think she was the assistant to the surgeon um, that was going to be doing the procedure. She took me into a room just to like check everything, you know, make sure I have the socks on and everything's locked away to go on the ward. And um, she got up on the screen, my most recent uh, ultrasound and quote said to me, you see, you're very healthy, your ovaries are healthy, everything is fine. Um, we're not expecting to find anything today. We're just going to go in, check, confirm, come back out and you'll be fine. Okay. And I was like, okay. And I said to her, if that is the case, then what do I do? And she said, well, pain relief and I'm not sure how else we can investigate or what else we can investigate for. So, okay fine and I sat there playing Pokemon Go <laughs> until I was allowed to go in um, and when I went in I was anxious um, I haven't had any kind of surgery never broken a bone the most time that I've spent in a hospital was that I went in when I was six to have my tonsils removed because I had yeah three tonsils instead of just the one or two that you're supposed to have oh. um, so never really apart from that one time never been put asleep that's something that I was really anxious about um I went in I was fine I was calm obviously um no visitors or anyone is allowed in the hospital with you but I went in with the um assistant to the surgeon <clears throat> and she got up my most recent um ultrasound results and she was showing me and she said as you can see everything's normal um like your womb is perfectly healthy your ovaries everything's fine we're not expecting to find anything um like everything's going to be all right like we're not expecting to find any endometriosis at all and um I thought right okay cool like if and I asked her if that is the case then what what do we do about that and she said to me well as far as an investigation like not really sure where you would go next because we don't know what else to look for to explain the pain um so I kind of felt like this surgery was going to be like a open and shut case of yes or no but then also leaving a door open if it was a no then what else is this going to be um so I went to go and be put under which was all fine. I was anxious about that um, because I'm scared of surgery and the only surgery that I've had was my tonsils when I was really young, when I was like six. Um, I had three 
instead of the normal one or two that you're supposed to have. Um, but at the same time, I was kind of like welcoming the forced sleep because I had loads of issues going on at the same time with work and just with emotions and the pandemic in general. So I was kind of welcoming a sleep that I couldn't wake up out of, out of my own like volition. Like it, I'd be forced to wake up when I wake up. Um, so I was looking forward to that. Oddly enough, didn't have any weird dreams. I don't know if people have dreams when they're <laughs> under anesthetic or not. Um, but when I woke up, it, it was so bizarre. It was like going to sleep and then waking up. And when I woke up, all I could make out in the whole like recovery room was the clock on the wall. And I could see the big hand and maybe the small hand a little bit, it was very blurry. My eyesight, I don't know if it's to do with the anesthetic or, or my eyesight in general, but I could not make anything out. Everything was a blur. <clears throat> and it was like that when I looked at the clock for about half an hour, 40 minutes. It was just wow. blank. It was so weird. Um, I do smoke. I, I smoke roll-up cigarettes. <clears throat> and um, I've heard that anesthesia for smokers when they come round isn't very nice. And um, when I woke up, I was freezing, like chattering constantly shivering they had to um get me a heated blanket like a one that's like blown up with warm air and oh. then two extra blankets on top of that I, I just couldn't I was really not with it um and while I was out of it like I may have been awake but I was nowhere near lucid um I had the assistant surgeon come back over to me again and I knew it was her because she had long brown hair and that's all I could see was this like woman with long brown hair and um, her voice was very clear but obviously I couldn't see her face um, and she said to me oh the surgery went fine everything's good um, however we found a deep-rooted old infection, um, which we've got rid of. And um, also you do have endometriosis. I'm just like blase. Literally like black and white, boom in your face. Everything's fine, but <laughs> like <laughs> bombs, okay. two bombs. Um, and... I tried to get as many questions out as I possibly could, but I was not by any means awake. Like I was half asleep and I knew that this was my chance to like ask everything that I could. And being that no one else is allowed in the hospital, no one's there to be my voice. No one's there to ask me for me. Like I don't, I don't have a pen and paper. Comfort you. Like, mm? Do you know what I mean? No one there to comfort you either. You're getting all this information and your mum's not there, your friend's not there. No one's there, no reg to like give you that warmth that you probably need in that moment. Exactly. My throat was sore from having the little tube down there. And it, because it's an experience that I've not had before, like since I was a child, 
it really threw me off. And I said to her, what infection? Like, what was it? And she said, oh, we don't know. We're, we're not sending any specimens to the lab. And at that time, I was just like, but why? Like, why are you not checking? Like, why are you not asking? Like, I didn't say these things, but I was thinking them. And then I said, so I have endometriosis. And she said, yeah. And I said, so I have endo. She was like, yes, you have endometriosis, but we've lasered away the tissue that was growing. Um, it can grow back, but, you know, then you can come back and possibly have the surgery again. And I was like, but... <laughs> you're saying this as if it was like always a possibility you told me there was no possibility like and I was so shocked and within seconds she was gone I don't know if I was like at the time I thought did I just hallucinate that like yeah I'm confused because my eyes are still blurry so I still can't make anything out then another woman came to me and told me she was my surgeon um and she said, oh, my colleague spoke to you. So we found an old deep rooted infection and endometriosis. But don't worry, everything's going to be fine because the endo's now gone. And I thought, what do you mean it's gone? Like, I know it doesn't just go. Like, I know you lasered it away. And I said to her, um, what's this infection? First thing that springs to my mind is, is this an STI again? Mm. <laughs> Even though I've been checked and I know I'm clear, but if it was old and deep rooted, which are two things that I didn't even know could occur with- Same, I'm like, all this conversation. It could literally be anything. And um, I said to her like, what is it? What, are you gonna test for it? And she said, well, no, because the whole purpose of the laparoscopy <laughs> <laughs> is that we go in with a camera, we go in with an instrument and we don't take anything because we're just getting rid of anything that shouldn't be there. So we're not actually taking specimens of things. And I was like, okay. Um, and that was the main thing that I was like focused on was this infection. Cause I thought, well, what is it? Um, and then she said to me, I really think you should give up smoking. And I said, okay, cool um that's my choice but I'll take it into account thank you and then she said also um you, you need to be on contraception maybe you should go on the pill and I said I can't go on the pill because uh stroke and that's all I could say because I was so muddled I said I, I have problems with migraines stroke I, I can't and then she said well you can have the implant or you can have the coil um, a lot of women with endometriosis have the coil and they say it helps with the pain and whatever, any other things like uh, managing the period itself, like the bleeding. I know it's helpful, but I don't particularly want it. Um, and I said to her, no, 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 I, I don't want that. Um, and then really out of the blue, she just said to me, do you want children? And I was like, what, what while you're still like fucking... That? It was like an interrogation almost. And again, I'm not awake. So I'll, it was all too much thrown at me. Um, I didn't have a chance to process it. I couldn't even have a sip of water yet. So <laughs> it was just, it was confusing. It was too much information at once. Um, why is she asking you that question? Why Do I want children? I know it's a valid question of asking if I do, but it's a bit much to ask someone who's very emotional, who's just come out of surgery. You've just shoved two things in their face 
to say that they have something or had something now that they've got rid of it. Um, I just couldn't fathom what was going on in that moment at all. And I was not prepared. Um, I don't know. And then I, I think my vision slowly started coming and I got put back on the ward, taken out of the recovery area. And then when I was really more awake and able to have food, um, all I could have was jelly. I tried to have the sandwich and it was so dry. Oh, and I yeah. was already dry. I couldn't yeah. eat. <laughs> it was horrible. Um, when one of the nurses that they'd been there all day, so I, I knew them by name, um, and I said, like, oh, can I talk to the surgeon? Is can I can I talk to her about? I I, I don't remember what she said or just trying to like grasp at anything to get them to come over because I, I felt more alive to be able to really go through what she was saying to me and she said oh no they've all gone now you were the last person on the ward and all all the um the surgeons have gone and I was like well can you talk to me then and she was like oh I'm just the ward nurse and on the ward is all different kinds of people in for all different kinds of surgery the woman in the bed next to me was uh, having spinal surgery. Another guy was having a tube in his throat. Like everyone was there for different things. And slowly one by one people were leaving as well. They were all being uh, taken home and discharged. I was actually one of the very last, well, I was the very last person to leave. I was there at 10 o'clock at night and everyone was meant to be gone by seven. Um, but I couldn't pass urine. It just wasn't happening. I had a lot of sickness as well. And ultimately that um, left me with the option of staying there overnight, which I really didn't want to do. And I wasn't prepared for, and I just wanted to be in my own bed and be with my mum because I, I hadn't seen her at all. And she, they're not going to tell her over the phone what had happened. So... Mm -hmm. I wanted to tell her um, and eat something that I wanted to eat. Um, right. So it was, yeah, the option to stay there the night or be fitted with a catheter bag <laughs> and go home. I had no idea what a catheter bag entailed. I now do. And I will, I will never volunteer for one again. <laughs> yeah. It was not pleasant with the healing, not being able to physically be as mobile as I would be if I hadn't already just had surgery and having that as well and having to walk around outside with it in a plastic bag and it was all too much but ultimately that's the end of my story because I have had no follow-up no courtesy call if you want to call it that um how long ago was that from now? So we're now in January. The 4th of December. So that's been like over a month, four weeks, and no one's even sent you a letter to be like, are you okay? Are they assuming that if you weren't, you'd be calling them already? Or And the since that conversation of her walking up to you, saying to you, hi, you've got a infection. Yes, you have Indo, but we've made it disappear. And do you want a child? Which I don't even know what you said to her, but 
that's a lot of questions. Um, they've not said anything to you since then? No. And they didn't say anything in your discharge notification to say, hey, we'll follow up or anything like that? No, my discharge notes actually say um, no, no follow up with GP, no follow up with gynecologist. Like it is literally just a closed book. And I don't know if that's down to the pandemic or if that's their common practice of this. Yeah. Or I kind of feel like I've been cheated in a way of knowing how to go forward now because all I've done since I left is look up endometriosis online, look up um, other endo warriors on Instagram, looking at forums at women discussing the issues and what they found. I've had a lot of people reach out to me on my Instagram stories after I posted quite a few things in my diagnosis um asking me like oh my god like what were the symptoms like I have I have symptoms like that too like can you explain to me your journey and it's just crazy that it seems to be this thing that no one knows anything about but affects all these women and you're then left with yep yeah, yeah I have it yeah that's it <laughs> yeah. like, it's Bye just, now. it's bewildering to me. Like, I don't, I don't get it. It's bizarre. Did they, um, did they tell you what your journey is though? Cause she's going to you, do you want kids? And you're saying yes or no. You said, yes, you did, um, yeah. fine. But what did she say to you then? Did she say it's possible? Did she say it's not possible? Did she say, call us up if you plan to do this, we'll assist you or maybe we need to assist you? Was it just a blase conversation, like a bread drink out to you? Hey, you want to drink a vodka and do you want kids? You're like, oh yeah, sure. Why not make that double? Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was literally just shot fire questions. I answered them and then she was gone. Um, and that that's no, that's no shade against her. Like she'd been doing that those procedures all day on women and I get that but it's not helpful to me someone who's been actively told you ain't got it you're not gonna have it everything's gonna be fine look at this look it's fine and then oh no you do have it and you have this as well but we're not telling you what that is like it was just all too much and it still is too much and it's like the blinds leading the blind in that there's all these women talking and trying to help each other and we don't know it all. I mean, um, there's not even a scientifically proven way of where this comes from, how it starts or why you get it. It's no, just there's no, to it. no, there's nothing. They don't know if you have it from birth, if it's something that develops from um when you start getting periods if it's something um to do with rough sex maybe something happens or even if it's something to do which I've commonly heard as well um terminations that's something that I've heard from quite a few women like they have a similar story in that they've had a termination they developed a cyst 
the cyst went and then the pain continued. So I don't know if it's the trauma that your body goes through, seeing as it is a, um, oh, what's the word? A forced miscarriage. There yeah. we go. Um, I, I'm not sure. But, but there's no one's collecting the data no. on this, which is the issue because there could be, like with the stuff of MS, I make it my mission to talk to people and kind of note down what they're saying about like the wildest symptoms and stuff like that that no one talks about because there could be a correlation. There could be a correlation with women that just have miscarriages or women that do have terminations or maybe everyone notices their first symptom at 15 and they know what the first symptom is like but unless someone's sitting there and acknowledging hey that's something maybe the community could do together a few people can join up and maybe speak to other endo warriors and figure out what that common denominator is in everyone's story to try and piece that together themselves so that they can maybe educate each other in a way that maybe they will never do I know it's because they've got no time or no money or what the situation is or because like black people get told that they're you know in you know their pain is invalid and you know they see that if we say we're in pain that they don't take it seriously that same narrative is played on the female form as well where if you're a woman you say you're in pain you're being delusional you're being weak or it's not as painful as you're saying it is and that's something that I know a lot of women for many different reasons have dealt with and a lot of black people for many different reasons have dealt with that it could be something that is causing a lot of issues in collecting data and helping people have a diagnosis a lot quicker than they are and for people to understand what's going on because you had years and to be honest the amount of time that you've said from what I've learned is still actually quite a small time in comparison to a lot of other people but the amount of things that you've had to go through, the things people have said to you, that was just not okay. There was no... Back and forth of the same thing, like, as if we haven't had enough ultrasounds, <laughs> like, come on. No finesse in how the information's being delivered to you. There's no one, but, like, I I want a world where, like, someone goes in for, especially if this is a person that's doing, say, 10, 12 procedures a day. I don't know. It could be an hour of surgery per person, and they're just going from person to person. But if there's, like, an information section, booklets, a person, a website to go with, here's a follow-up situation. Where's an endo nurse? And as someone that just, you know, advocates or talks to new people or new patients dealing with the scenario about it so they can better understand or even just connecting them with someone else that also deals with what you deal with having a friend a mentor someone that even on an emotional level because yeah we do have family members and yes we speak to them and absolutely they love us and want the best of us but like I know of MS there's no it's nothing like speaking to someone else that's in your situation because you can believe that they understand. You're talking to me. I'm not an endo warrior. I know if I had one of the other endo warriors next to me, that connection is going to be stronger because when you're looking in each other's eyes, you can you can see that you've been through the same things. And I think that's valuable, having that kind of situation 
And that's something that I would love to get hospitals to understand. And I know it probably takes a lot of money, but I think it probably be a it probably saves the money in the weirdest way because they're not they're not going to have to do twelve ultrasounds beforehand. They're going okay. This 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 sounds like this. Let's do this. Rule it out. Rule it in. Probably should have started with that procedure and not ended with it. Yeah. You know. I mean. Food for yeah. thought. Um, there was a girl, bless her. She was so nice, very young, early twenties, in um, the bed on the side to mine. And she had gone in for her procedure before I'd even had mine and I was still waiting. And um, she'd gone in, come out, and I'd seen the motions that she'd gone through with sitting up and, you know, trying to eat, trying to go to the bathroom. And she asked to speak to the surgeon because they were still around. And um, the surgeon came in and I, I heard the conversation and she said, are you sure there's nothing? Are you sure? And the woman said, yeah, you've got no endometriosis. You're absolutely fine, don't worry. And she started crying. And the woman said to her, why are you crying? Why is it happy tears because you're okay? And she was like, no, I'm upset and I'm crying because there's no justification for why I'm feeling this way and I feel crazy. And I completely understood exactly what she was saying because it was my fear too. And that's all I could think about before I was going in of, great, am I gonna come out and it's gonna be the same thing? Like, that's the main thing that I don't want. And yeah, it it's horrible to be diagnosed with something, but at the same time, it's also a relief because you have an answer. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I and agree. My whole life of having problems, like I said to you earlier, with my back and my ankle and my head <laughs> um, with no answers, finally something with like a, a line drawn under it, what it is. And at least now I can go forward, but I just wish that, all the other women that are feeling this way or similar or are curious, I wish they could all also have a line drawn under it and know exactly what's going on, know that they're healthy, know that there's something wrong, know that there's something that can be fixed. And it's, it's wild how many undiagnosed people there are. And there's one in 10 women that are diagnosed with it. And what if there's more? Yeah. There could be, that's what they know and what they know is not much. Yeah. And that's the issue. Like, I don't know, probably from the days that they said we were witches, you know, like those things where you've kind of just been like, femininity has just been like, we won't deal with periods. We don't deal with the womb. It is just for one thing and that's just, and it's just too much. So I just want to say from my heart, Jules, thank you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for sharing your story. I appreciate it. And I know that a lot of people are going to resonate with that and probably want to ask you some questions at some point because um, they're going to feel connected to the story. And I don't know, I just, I feel connected to the story in so many more ways than you'd understand. And I know I have friends that deal with situations and things very similar to you. So thank you for being here because I know it wasn't easy to share that story. Um, I hope in some way it's helped you too. 
and I hope that you keep pushing for answers and for community as well because you deserve even if they can't give it to you to have like-minded individuals that maybe together that you can create something that's quite beautiful I want to ask you before we um, sign off for today's episode is there anything you wanted to say before we go yeah I just wanted to um, say a couple of things that I've written down like symptoms just in case anyone watching or listening feels any of these things it's something it's so super important that you know exactly what's going on inside and um, if I can help anyone in any way from this video it'd be to encourage to do something about it don't don't do what I did and I may not have been waiting for as long as other people that have pushed for it but don't don't sit on your problems and don't sit on your pain because you you do not have to like you shouldn't be taking it um main symptoms um lower back and tummy pain um painful and heavy periods uh pain during sex and after sex like what i spoke about earlier i think that's something that's very definitive like um I don't know if pain should or sh pain I don't know if sexual intercourse should or shouldn't be painful but if you are experiencing pain then it's something to open up about and don't don't feel tabooed by it don't be afraid don't be anxious to talk about those things because they're valid and they're important yeah um bleeding and spotting um feeling sick constipation diarrhea blood in the urine when on your period fatigue is something that really hits like feeling unnaturally tired not getting that energy no matter how much you try that's a big factor that I don't think is spoken about enough um bloating any mm. hardness of the stomach um and women with endometriosis the big, biggest thing that hits them is depression and anxiety and mental health. Um, if not just because of how they're feeling, not just because low mood, but also because if you are having and experiencing pain during and after sex, it's, it's often something that you get anxious to do, to do the act and to, if you're single or with a partner, anything, you shouldn't let that stop you from enjoying yourself and for doing what our bodies naturally do. Um, but yeah, anything to do with mental health. No, I, I get you. And I appreciate you sharing that because that's important and even though those things can cover so many things, you don't necessarily link those situations together. Mm. So hearing that possibly those are the symptoms, there's probably a lot of people that deal with different things like that, but would never think, oh, my stomach pain is linked to my mental health. Yeah. And my mental health is linked to my heavy period. Yeah, you might go, it's annoying and stressful periods are, but are you really going to make that connection? So thank you for sharing that. 
because I think that's valuable information for people to know. Even for me, my brain's going, well, you feel like that, you feel like this. Maybe you should just go and have a look because you never know. Like, like you, I've had two cervical exams and they've come back both fine, but I know that doesn't mean anything either. Do you know what I mean? There's so many other layers. So thank you for that. Um, just to everyone listening, if you want to ask Gaynor more questions or anything like that, please go to Instagram, go follow her at Gaynor Blackbird. Um, obviously, I will be putting her on Splinty Roxy and tagging her so that if you can't find it, then come Splinty Roxy and follow over to her. Um, I'm sure she's happy to answer any questions. And if you have any information you can give to Gaynor, yes, even please. better. You know, <laughs> send her all the positive energy and all the information and just connect um, as a community of people. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Gaynor, for being here. I know this is a really sensitive um, subject, um, but I thank you for sharing it. And I love you all. And as usual, warriors, from my heart to yours, much love here from Spinty Roxy. Thank <laughs> you.